the regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. As I was doing my study, the, one of the things that kind of came to mind, because um, I don't know how many of you were saved as an adult as I was, but um, I had this moment when, you know, as I'm going through, like, my life and reconsidering everything, I was like, man, I need to just get rid of a bunch of stuff, right? I was like, I need to get rid of these movies, these books, like, music, all this stuff. I'm just going to cleanse my house of all these wicked and evil things. And um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the only one that did that, but I know there in the 90s for a while, there was a lot of people that were burning CDs, right? Like Metallica and all these other rock bands. They were like, oh, we can't listen to this kind of stuff. But that was like a, a thing for me, right? That's something that I did. Maybe maybe y'all didn't do that, but in my mind, I was like, if I'm going to serve God, I, need, I can't have two masters, right? I need to get rid of all this stuff. Now, I can see that for some people like me, it was it was helpful, um, but like I, I I had I collected movies and I threw away like over 200 movies. I mean, I just dump threw them in a dump, exactly. I just threw them in a dumpster, right? And I was just like, oh, if I you know. But for me, it was something I was holding on to, and and I felt like you know these movies glorified worldly things, and if I'm going to really devote myself to the Lord, I need to get these get these things out of my house. They're they're a distraction. <clears throat> and, you know, for me, it was something that I needed to do, right? It, it, was, it, it helped me to kind of sacrifice worldly things that I didn't really need uh, to help me understand where my help was found, right? That, that was something that I needed. Now, where this idea, this concept, this experience can go from being a, a godly thing uh, to only having the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, as our passage says, but not ultimately having any value, is if I take this personal conviction, this personal experience, and try to impose that upon you, right? If, if there was a new convert here and they were like, you know, I really want to take my walk with the Lord serious. What are some things that you think I should do? If I was like, well, you need to do like me, right? Get rid of all these things that are whatever. If that was my, my thought process, you need to do what I did uh, to, if you really want to serve the Lord. Now, like I said, it has its place for, for some of us. Um, in, in doing things like that, but that's, that's the kind of mindset that can get us in trouble, right? If we take personal convictions and kind of impose them on others as this is the word of God. Now, this is kind of what's going on in our passage today. There were these things that were starting to infiltrate the church. There were issues and, and uh, teachings that were like, hey, you, if you really want to serve God, you need to do these things. <clears throat> and these teachings were beginning to run rampant uh, through the church. There were false teachers that were promoting these things, and then there were actually Christians who were being fooled or deceived, deluded uh, by these sorts of teachings. So Paul, in our passage today, rebukes the congregation for falling for these false teachings and is asking them essentially to examine themselves and why they are submitting to these sorts of regulations. As he tells them, there are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh, right? There is no value in stopping sinful behaviors in doing these things that he's referring to. <clears throat> now, with that in mind, right, we've got two main points 
to our sermon. That's kind of a quick rundown of what's going on. The, these are our two points, and I promise, well, I can't promise, but I hope this stops today, but I've got another acronym for us. Uh, it's not, I, I hope this, is, is, this isn't going to be my thing, and when Pastor comes next week, I'm sure he's not going to have one, but I've got one more, okay? Um, <clears throat> and we may have people on both sides of this, depending on when you came to salvation, right? You may think of this in two different ways. The acronym is R&R, R and R. Right. So depending on what you think about when I say R&R may determine, you know, the point when you got saved for some of us. Right. That stands for rich and rare. Uh, but hopefully for most of you, it stands for rest and relaxation. If, if that joke fell flat on you, then praise God that you don't you don't know what I'm referring to. And I'm not going to go any further than that. Uh, but that's our two main points. Right. That's what we're R and R. Th these are the things that we're going to talk about. Now, what are those things? <clears throat> well, you may know them as rest and relaxation, but uh, today we are going to talk about regulations and rest. We're almost kind of flipping it, but regulations and rest. These are the two points that we are going to be covering. And if I was to summarize this sermon, what my end goal is for you to pull out of these verses as a principle or a truth or whatever you want to call it, um, it's this. This is the, the sermon summary. You can do everything in your power to obey God and to not sin against him. But if God does not bless or empower your efforts, they are in vain. Let me repeat that. You can do everything in your own power to obey God and to not sin against him. But if God does not bless or empower your efforts, they are in vain. Now, with that in mind, let us ask God to bless our time as we go into this word, uh, into his word, uh, because I do not want to do this in my own power or strength. All right, so let's pray. Dearly Father, we come to you once again thanking you for this day and thank you for your word that brings life. Uh, Lord, it is the works of the flesh that bring forth death, uh, but it is your spirit is what brings life. And God, we are so thankful for that. Selfishly, um, yeah, that's that's what we want in the flesh is selfishness and passions of the flesh, the works of the flesh. These are the things that resonate with the flesh. But Lord, as your people, these cold stone hearts that we once had, you removed those from us and you gave us a heart of flesh that now desires the things that you desire. It loves the things that you love and it hates the things that you hate. And so that war that's going on within all of us that are your people, uh, this is where we need to feed uh, our spirit, starve our flesh, and uh, further desire the things that you have commanded of us. Uh, Lord, we can do nothing apart from you, and apart from faith, we cannot please you. So, Lord, I just pray and ask that you remind us today that whatever we seek to do, if we are trying to do it in and of our own strength, it will lead nowhere. Uh, but, Lord, when you when we follow your commands with a, a desire to please you in our lives, Lord, we can do mighty things for your kingdom, eternal things for your kingdom. And that's what you've called us to. And so we just pray and ask, Lord, that in this time you bless me as the speaker and then you bless your people as uh, hearers of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and we give you thanks. Amen. All right. So I want to, like I said, we have two points. And our first point is going to be the first three verses, and then verse 23 will be our second point. And so let me reread verses 20 through 22. 
uh, where we're going to be camped out here for a little bit. It says this, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Right? Why are, why are these people submitting to these things if they're, they're perishing? So similarly to last week, what I want to reiterate first is we must first know who we are in Christ. That, that's the basis for all of the Christian life. We must know who we are in Christ. If we were to back up earlier in this chapter, we kind of discussed that. But if I went back to the beginning of this letter, in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul calls the people of Colossae, the, the people he's intended this letter to go to, saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, pastor preached on this, so I'm not going to rehash this too much, but saints and faithful brothers, these, these are specific terms that are used for a specific reason, right? Not only has God made us holy people, not only has he sanctified us, made us saints, but he has also adopted us or these people here in Colossae specifically into the family of God, right? Not only have they been set apart, but they've been set apart and made children of God. And us today, as God's people, are saints as well. Uh, we make up this body of believers. We're not only a, a community of people, but we're one big happy family, right? Well, maybe not happy, but holy family. Because <clears throat> we're not always happy. Um, but that's who we are. That's who we are in Christ. Um, remember, like we said last week, Christ died for me. That, that's that I need. That's. Above everything else, that's what I need to remember. That's who I am. Christ died for me, and he has made me his own. Now, if Christ died for me, or since he has died for me, then I have died with him, as our passage says, to the elemental spirits of the world, which specifically is referring to the ceremonial and ritualistic laws that were given uh, in Judaism. Specifically, that's what they're referring to. Now, what we know about what Christ did in his earthly life, he fulfilled all righteousness, right? He, he began that when he mentioned being baptized by John. John wanted him to baptize him, but he said, hey, we must do it this way to fulfill all righteousness, right? So Christ in his earthly life fulfilled all the righteous requirements that, that the law required. And this is known as his active obedience. This is a, a theological term, if you will, that's used. There's no test, so don't worry about it, but this is known as his active obedience obedience, right? These are the things that he actively did. He, he, these are the acts he performed to uh, be obedient. But as the uh, spotless, sinless lamb of God, who he was to came, he, who came to take away the sins of the world, he bore our sins and died in our place. And his active obedience is a righteous life that he lived. His passive obedience is him dying for sins. Now, when we, when we tend to think of passive like someone who's passive-aggressive or, you know, I'm a passive type of person, we tend to think of someone who doesn't speak up, who kind of just takes things as they come. But that's not what this word means. Uh, when we think about Christ, he wasn't a passive person, right? In, in John 10, he tells us no one takes his life from him. He laid down his life of his own accord, and he will raise it up again. So this passive obedience doesn't refer to just him being his life being taken away from him, but he laid his life down. And that word passive is similar to the word passion when we think about the passion of the Christ. This refers to the suffering of Christ. That's where that root word comes from. It means to suffer. And so when we talk about passive obedience, this is his suffering obedience, right? So in the passion of Christ, we see his death. 
But as his people, what our passage tells us today is that, or I'm sorry, uh, earlier in, in verse 15, that all our sins were nailed to the cross. Thank you, Lord, is right. That, that's what God has done for us, right? In his death, we died with him. Our sinful nature, our sinful, or excuse me, our sinful flesh died with him. All that was paid for when Christ died for us. Therefore, if that's who Christ is and what he has done for us, when he died, we died with him. And as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2, we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But then it doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 21 to say, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, right? If righteousness was through the law, observing these laws, then Christ died for no purpose, right? So if we could have achieved righteousness through the law, there would have been no purpose in Christ dying. But we know that that wasn't possible, right? With man, righteousness is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And this has always been the case. A lot of times we tend to disconnect Old Testament saints from New Testament saints, but there has never been anyone who's been able to work their way to salvation, not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. Uh, we tend to forget this, but just like with Abraham, the father of our faith, he believed God and it was credit to him righteousness, right? It, being uh, Moses the same way, anyone who was in the old covenant, none of them believed if they were God's people, right, saved by, by God, none of them believed that their works were going to attain their salvation. None of them. Right? We have chapter 11 of Hebrews to remind us of that. Over and over again it says, by faith this person did this, by faith this person did that, by faith this person did this. So no one ever was saved by their own works, ever. Right? No, everyone has only ever been saved by believing God. That's, that's it. That's always been the way God has saved his people. He has never saved his people in any other way, period. Right. But the Mosaic law, when that was given, what it was, one of the, the purposes of it was ultimately to point back to Christ, but to allow the people to be set apart from all the nations around them to be a light in a dark place. Right. They abstain from these things, not just to abstain from them, but to be set apart and then to also evangelize the lost. Right. To be a light in these dark places. There were to be a kingdom of priests who were making much of the one true God and the mercy that he shows to a thousand generations, right? That, that gospel message has never changed. It's, it's always been the same message. God has always been a God showing steadfast love and loving kindness and being merciful, right? That's always been the message of who God is. Read through the Psalms. You'll see it all over the place, right? It's us as people who stray, and it's God is the one who is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin, and so we see lots of example of God's wrath as justice being poured out on sinful people. But over and over again, God restores his people. He delivers his people. That's the kind of God that we serve, right? That is the God who saved you and I. But as I said, right, the people go wayward, right? The people begin to focus on the things that are seen, not on the things that are unseen. They found more worth in regulations and rules and restrictions than they did on the one who came to redeem them from their inability to keep these rules, regulations, and restrictions. Now, when Paul here in our passage refers to these regulations, specifically these, these rules that they're being told, do not handle, do not taste, 
do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, he's referring to not only ceremonial laws, but the oral traditions that were handed down to the people during that time. And, and they came to prominence during the, the reign, if you will, of the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Before this, it was, it was just the law. Uh, as time grew, there was an oral tradition uh, that began to take hold on the people. Now, uh, the, book of Le- excuse me, the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers, <clears throat> they both lay out Levitical priestly duties. These are all laid out in there. How they are to cleanse themselves or consecrate themselves before they offer sacrifices. This is all laid out in those books. Now, what is believed by, by some is that as the Pharisees began to come to prominence, right, this is when the last, the last time God spoke to his people through Malachi, there was this dark season where God did not reveal himself through any prophets. This is when the Pharisees began to rise to prominence. Now, as this happened, uh, what is believed is that they begin to make suggestions to people like, hey, these are good practices. Maybe we should do these things. Some of those things were these, um, these oral traditions. One of them specifically would have been cleansing rites. Like, hey, the Levites, they practice these things. Why shouldn't we do them too as God's people, right? Was it a matter of <clears throat> just showing solidarity as a nation? Hey, we're all going to do what the Levites do and, and, and wash before we eat. Uh, or is it going to be just something, hey, this is one more thing to keep God on your mind, right? Are, are these just helpful suggestions on how to live a godly life, or was it more of a command? Well, we're not told specifically, but I think these are things to consider because this is the way that we tend to, to operate as people. There are things that we do, and then we find benefit in them, and then we make them dogmas in our own life. Like, these are things that I, I have to do now, or else my life will fall apart. So, with the Pharisees, what we see with them Small suggestions snowballed into these class A offenses of the law in the eyes of the Pharisees. So these were things that went beyond God's law, but people saw benefit in them and they decided, hey, these are things that everyone should do. <clears throat> but like I said, these, these are regulations that were not specifically written in uh, God's law. Now, the word regulation, when we hear that word, I don't, I don't know about you, but to me it doesn't really have any like strong ties to anything when I think of regulations, but this word uh, means decree or dogma, something that's like fi- uh, like something that's definitive, right? It's you can't you cannot do anything else. This must be done. That's what this word refers to with uh, regulations. Now, like I said, there were no rules in place for God's people uh, to wash their hands before meals, but this was something that was put forth uh, that, that, they, that they wanted them to uh, observe. Like I said, this was a, not law, but this was a rule according to human precepts and teachings. Right? This is just one example of that. Now, if that type of thought sounds familiar, I think we see this in Matthew 15 with Jesus. Uh, and uh, Brother Lee mentioned that this passage this morning, but I'm going to revisit it because I think it's really important to see the distinction between What's God's law and then what, what's optional? What's the tradition of men? Because when Jesus came to live, he fulfilled all righteousness, but he bucked the system when it came to oral traditions, things that people held on the same level as God's law. And we see this in Matthew 15. I'm going to read this passage for us. It says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? 
for they, they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your traditions, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Right? So in that, what we see, these traditions of the elders, these were just oral traditions. These were things that were wise to do, but they elevated them to the status of scripture, right? They, they took these traditions of men and they made them equal with the word of God. Now, I think if, if we think, like, like I mentioned last week, there's lots of things that go on in the Old Testament or New Testament time that remind us of things today. Uh, there are religions that believe tradition and the word of God are, are on equal footing. Uh, but what we see here is Jesus rebukes that thought Paul rebukes that thought, and he's letting us know all these things should, become, should come under subjection to the word of God, regardless of what you say about them. It is scripture, and scripture alone is God's word that determines all truth, all rules, all regulations. If it doesn't fall underneath that or it contradicts it, you've got to uh, get rid of it because they are only human precepts and teachings, right? And precepts means rules, right? So they're only things that man has come up with um, which man a lot of times comes up with nice things, good things, helpful things, but they are not equal to God if they contradict the word of God. So this is the regulations that we're speaking of that we see here uh, for the people in Colossae. These were issues that had come up. They were teaching these things, as we mentioned last week, asceticism, uh, what we'll see in this verse, um, this next verse, severity to the body and, and all these uh, ritualistic um, ceremonial laws from the Old Testament, they were trying to implement these things and require them in the New Testament. These are all the things that were human traditions. Christ fulfilled all those things. He abolished them. They find their fullness in, in him. They point to him. They are the shadow. He is the substance. Uh, but these people were trying to still bring that stuff in that was already completed. But that's the regulations. <clears throat> Next, we have our second point, which is rest. Right, this the regulations, it's like these, it's heaping this huge burden on the people that Christ did not intend for us to bear. The second point we're talking about is rest. Now, let me read verse 23. It says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Now, as I was coming up with you know these uh these uh points, right, and, and it's rest, kind of like last week, you're like, where do you get rest in this verse, kind of like last week with the confusion thing, like how did you come up with confusion, where does this come from, but we'll get there, okay, just, just bear with me, um, give me, give me a little break, but yeah, so think of it this way, this is the thing that kind of came to mind, when we think about these regulations and all these things that, that are up, uh, that are, that are being presented here and how they have no value in stopping the uh, indulgences of the flesh. Have you ever, like, try, like, shot for a goal that was, like, right outside of reach, right? When you think about, I know I can accomplish this, but I'm going to set my goal just a little bit further to try to push me to this, to this point, right? Whether it be 
you're applying for a job you're not qualified for, or you're trying to set a budget when you're up to your eyeballs in debt, uh, or you're trying to lose some weight, right? You've, you've put on these pounds, seem to come out of nowhere, and now you're trying to, to lose this weight, um, you know, and it just, but it just seemed to come out of nowhere, right? Like, these are all things that are good goals for us to shoot for, and, and sometimes they seem somewhat unattainable, right? Some of them are a little easier to do, uh, some of them are a little harder, but regardless of what that goal is, when it's right outside of your reach, it, it's, it tends to be very difficult and defeating at the beginning to make that first step, right? Like when you're thinking about, okay, I'm this many dollars in debt, I only make this much a month, and these other things are happening, and I need to try to set this budget so I can get this taken care of, like the first immediate step is it's overwhelming, and you're just kind of thinking, I, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I can't see the end of this, <coughs> excuse me, of this. Um, but like I said, it, it, these are all achievable things, right? You may know someone who works at that job where you can get that position or you know, if you actually set the budget and stick to it, right, and you do the whole Dave Ramsey thing, you can get out of debt. Um, or if you work out and do all that, you can potentially lose that weight. All these things are possible, right? These are all things that are attainable goals for us. Some are easier, some are a little more difficult. But what Paul is telling us here in this verse, right, when he's talking about these this asceticism, severity of the body, self-made religion, what he's telling us, these things that these people are putting forth have no ability whatsoever to, to achieve what they're seeking to achieve, right? Like I said, we have goals that we set where they're possible, um, and if we stick to, you know, we, we're, we're disciplined, we can usually achieve these things that are right outside of our grasp, but what Paul is letting them know, based on what they're doing and the motivations behind what they're doing, there, there is no ability to achieve those things. It's, it's impossible to do. All it has is the appearance of wisdom, right? It's just the appearance of wisdom in doing these things with the end goal of stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Now, I found that word appearance very, um, what's the word? Like, it, it, was, it was really cool. Like, I, I really like that word. But as I was looking at it, like, I went to the original language. What does this word mean, right? What, what word are they translating into English from the original language? Well, it's the word lagos. Now, the word lagos, some of you may be familiar with it. It's, that's the word for word, right? When we think about John 1, uh, when it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then the word became flesh, that word that's used there is lagos. That's, that's the word for speaking of Jesus. Now, this word lagos is where we get the English words for, like, any ology, right? The biology, sociology, all these ologies is that, that word. Uh, also, the word logic comes from that. Uh, that's kind of like the root word for these English words that we have. So that word means word. It means saying, teaching, discourse, narrative. It, it kind of has that sort of meaning that's out there. And what I liked about this, because the, the appearance doesn't quite, in my mind, doesn't quite fit. <clears throat> but I like the way the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this verse. And it says, a reputation of wisdom. That's the word that's used there, a reputation of wisdom. It, it, it appears wise, it seems wise, it presents itself as wise, right? That, that's what these things do. They have the representation of wisdom. They, they, they appear that way. And so it makes 
self-made religion, asceticism, severity of the body, which we kind of talked about these things last week, uh, it, it makes those se things seem like they're wise and godly things to do, right? These are things that they believe uh, looked good on the surface, right? They had this shiny appearance of wisdom. And some people may say, right, the things that may have been going through these people's mind is, well, if, if they're doing it and I see they're godly people, maybe I should do it as well, right? Is it working for them? It seems to be, right? As I see them, they're, they have this appearance of wisdom. They seem to know a lot. They seem to live a godly life. It has the appearance of wisdom, right? They have the reputation of wisdom, and when I think about that, I think about the Pharisees, right? We tend to think of the Pharisees in this, like, hindsight version where it's kind of like they're these wicked people, which a lot of them were. But during their time, when they lived, they were the most celebrated and, and honored people of their day. They were the ones that appeared to be the most wise, the most respected. They had that sort of opinion. If you think about your grandparents or some loved one who you hold uh, into in a high place of, of regard, that's what they used to think of these Pharisees. So we have to keep that in our mind. This is what's going through the minds of these people. They, you know, it's someone you don't, you know, you don't contradict. You don't uh, talk back to them if they tell you something. You kind of hold them in that position where you believe they're studied, they're they're holy, they're all these things. They're they're looking out for my own good. Uh, that's that's the kind of position that these people had. They had the appearance of wisdom. But what does Paul tell us, right, in, in regards to these people and their practices? He says, the things that they do, there are no value, there is no value for them in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Right? There's no value there in the things that they were doing. Now, I found it interesting the word no that's used here, right? Looking it up and defining it in its original language. It means no, not, cannot. And it's also known as an answer directly in reference to a question that's expecting an affirmative answer. Lots of words to say it's not just no, but heaven's no, right? Now, I don't know what y'all thought I was going to say, but uh, yeah. Anyways, that, that, it's that type of no, a very definitive answer. Like if you're expecting a yes, it's the exact opposite of that. That's how definitive what Paul is saying about this having no value, that's what it is. It, there, there is zero chance that there can be any value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh if you're doing these things uh, that these people are putting forth. Right? There, there's nothing of value for them. These man-made, self-imposed uh, religious practices can never produce any virtue. There, there's no virtue in them in the battle against the flesh. Zero. None. It, it just cannot do it. You're wasting your time in seeking to find some purpose in doing these things. So in other words, it's purely in vain if you ever pursue these things uh, in the manner that the false teachers are requiring these people to obey. There's zero value there. Now, like I said, once again, we look back on them, we're like, you know, those, those foolish Colossians, right? How are they just falling for these things? But it is very easy to fall into these false teachings when it's someone who's very influential in your life, right? When it's someone you trust and you believe in and you see they, they appear to have a happy home and happy life and, and they're telling you, hey, just do these things. And it's very easy to get 
um, caught up in that because you desire what they have or you desire the things that they've achieved to, to follow suit and think that God is going to bless you the same exact way that he blessed them, right? It's, it's very easy to go there, and, and we can lose sight of that, right? If our focus is off of Christ and it's on these things, it's very easy to be deluded by plausible arguments like we read, um, like, we, like we preached to a couple of weeks ago. Now, <clears throat> what, I, what, I'm, what, what I want to be clear about as far as, like, teachings going forth and us giving each other advice, what, what we're not saying is that giving practical advice to someone, right? If someone asks you, hey, how did you get out of debt? How did you lose that weight? How did you start studying your Bible more? How did you learn more about X, Y, or Z, right? All these things are, there's always helpful advice. When we preach, we're always trying to give some sort of application to, to give you tools to do things in a, in a godly fashion. So what we're not saying is don't give anyone advice. That's not what we're trying to say here. And that there's no, that all advice is, is worthless. But what we are saying is all commands that God has given, if we're going to bind someone's conscience to, to doing something, it must be rooted in the word of God, right? I can very easily tell you, don't murder someone, right? I, I can tell you, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery. You know, I can very easily tell you those things and have no qualms about it. But if you're asking me on advice, on how to save up to, to buy a house or how to be a better husband, right? If I say, oh, well, you need to get up early and you need to do, if I give you these things and I tell you, if you do these things, it's going to revolutionize your marriage. And if you don't do them, you're in sin. I've gone beyond what scripture teaches. Amen? Right? I, it, very helpful to have advice. And hey, going to older couples who've been married for years, and say, hey, what are some things that I should avoid, right? What are some things that I should seek to do within my marriage? Always helpful, right, to have advice, to, to, to find someone older than you who's been through it and get that advice. I, I strongly encourage everybody to seek out someone for those reasons. But when we go beyond what Scripture commands and we require that of people, we're no different than the false teachers here in Colossae. So, as, as we already said, uh, what's, what's being told here is this self-made religion, asceticism, severity of the body. These have no value, right? There's no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Just to re reiterate what those things are uh, real briefly before we uh, conclude our time uh, or get into our application. Self-made religion, will worship, these are things that I'm like, okay, what am I going to do personally in order to try to strengthen my relationship with the Lord? I can impose things on myself, right, based on my convictions and what I read in scripture, but if it's practical advice that I'm trying to hold myself to in order to, um, you know, like pluck out my eye or cut off my hand, right, for the, to forsake sin, if I'm trying to do these things personally, that's one thing, but to take the things that I did that I felt worked for me to impose that on someone else, that's, that's self-made religion, right? I am requiring things of you that go beyond scripture. Asceticism these are the stripping away all earthly comforts and pleasures from your life in order to gain some heightened state of, of spirituality. That's, that's what asceticism sought to do. And the severity of the body is along with that. It was people were flagellating themselves. They were starving themselves. They would um, devote themselves to poverty, right? They would do these sorts of things in order to try to show that 
this, this world meant nothing to him and God was everything to him, right? I'm going to show you through these actions how much I love you and, and these are righteous deeds that I'm seeking to, to perform in order to gain favor with you as God, right? That's what these sorts of things are. They were all rooted in self. Uh, so that's what these three things, we kind of talked about them last week. This is a quick rehashing of those terms. None of those things have any value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can remove all, you can get rid of every computer, cell phone in your house and say, you know what, like I've got this porn problem, I'm going to get rid of all these things and, I, and I'm going to, this is what's going to help me to not go there, but then you, got, you still have your mind where you can think through things and you can still do all that, so you're not stopping the indulgences of the flesh by just removing these things from your life, right? If you're a gossip, you're like, you know what, I'm going to take a vow of silence so I don't say anything against anyone, right? still think about them, right? You can still find ways to sin in any way when you try to take God's word and conform it into your own image. Very easily this can be done. And this is what the this is what Paul is talking about, right? This is the asceticism, severity of the body, self-made religion. It's all of that stuff. I'm because anything that we come up with that's not rooted in the scripture, it's it's in vain. It's flawed, right? And you can find, you can poke holes in it every single time. You can't poke holes in the word of God because it's God's holy standard. It's perfect. Anything less than that is imperfect. So of course you can poke holes in it like the Pharisees did. But there, there is no value when it's imperfect. When you're not faithfully seeking God, there's no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh because it is fleshly driven. I mean, that's where it comes from is the flesh. So all you can do is muddy the waters any further. So you may say, okay, well, if I can't do that, what should I do? Right, because I've come up with things in my head that I think are helpful and, you know, they haven't helped or, you know, these things seem insurmountable. <clears throat> so what should I do? Well, I've got a list over here somewhere that I'm going to, I'm just kidding, just kidding. So, all right, so what, what should we do, right? This isn't about me, right? That was a test. I don't know, I thought I saw something else shaking those heads, but uh, yeah, we have to go to the word of God, right? It's God's word that brings life. It's God's word that we must listen and obey. <clears throat> so Romans 12, I think, is one example of many that does that for us. I don't have time to read through all of it, but we're going to focus on the first eight verses. I'm going to, this is our application time, and so I'm going to read a verse at a time and kind of talk through it. So this is verse one. When we're considering how to stop the indulgence of the flesh, how we are to please God with our lives. How do we do that, right? That's what we're talking about because these things that Paul was combating have no value in doing that. So how can we do that? Well, he says this in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. So what this is telling us in light of our passage, right, don't submit to man-made regulations. Submit your will to the Lord and what he desires. Amen? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Now that, if what this is telling us, or one of the things that we can pull from this, is if God's word is what you are meditating on, 
and praying through and spending time in, the Spirit of God will illuminate uh, his word in such a way that the indulgences of the flesh become less and less desirable. That's the truth, right? That I can tell you with confidence, right? There's nothing magical about the time in and of itself, but as I desire God in his word, I spend time in his word, I'm meditating on it, trying to apply it in different aspects of my life, I see the beauty in it, and I see the, 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 the ugliness of these things that I desire fleshly, and I, I desire them less. I still desire them, but less and less as I see the beauty in who God is. Amen? Verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. <clears throat> so this, this is a verse I think that's really important for us when we see someone that we highly respect in the faith, right? We're like, I really look up to this person. God has blessed them to be exactly where they are, right? Whether it's financially, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, intellectually, all these things are given by God, right? Some he blesses 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That's all God's doing in their life, all of it. So we can't think of any one person more highly than we think of anyone else. God is the one who assigns these measures of faith that he's given us. Okay, so no matter who you are, if Christ has saved you, you're just as precious as every other person that Christ has saved. You are clothed with the same righteousness. Amen? God has blessed us with everything we need for life and godliness. For some, it's like it's preaching, right? It's, it's front and center. Uh, but for others, it's mowing the grass. It's fixing leaky faucets. It's fixing food for our uh, fellowship meals. It's fervently praying for the saints, right? As prayer requests go out, you're the, you're, in your mind, it's like, I need to pray for this person, right? That's where my heart is. I need to, I know this person's going through something. I want to pray for them, right? It's, it's, there's different gifts that God has given to his people. Each one of us have a measure of faith that God has assigned. So, um, we should ask the question, well, how can I be a blessing to the church, right? If, if he's given each of us a gift, and I haven't quite figured that out yet, what, how can I be a blessing to the church? Well, let's consider what Paul says in verses 4 through 6. He says, for as in one body we have many members, <clears throat> and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, right? Let us use them. We, if God has given us each a gift, we are each members of the body, right? Some of us may be pinky toes, and some of us may be, you know, the heart beating in the chest, right? Like, we all have different parts, uh, but there's use for each part of the body, right? Fingernails, toenails, eyebrows, everything has a purpose, right? Everything that God has put within his body has purpose. There are no useless members in the family of God. So we are many members of one body. We have different gifts and <clears throat> a lot of times many different convictions, right? There's different things that we hold tighter than others and there's some things that we hold more liberally than others. <clears throat> excuse me, but we all have different, <clears throat> excuse me, parts. We're all different parts of the body and these gifts that God has given, whether they're convictions or whatever the case may be, we should use them to build up the body, 
right? That's the purpose that God has given these gifts is to build up one another, not a means to tear each other down or talk behind each other's back uh, because someone doesn't feel the same way that you do about a certain thing or topic, right? We have been given one another to build each other up. Now, you may see a need, and if you see the need, like, well, why don't we have this at the church? Why don't we do that at the church? Why do we always do things this way? You know, why don't we have that, right? I, I see this as lacking, okay? Well, what I say to you and what pastor will say to you, Pastor David, Pastor Ricky, will all say to you is, great, thank you for seeing that as a need. We need someone to help in that area, right? That, hey, you see it, you see the need, Go, you see a fire, go put it out, and we will help you get there. So th don't, don't think of that as like, well, I'm not going to say anything now. No, if God is putting that on your heart, that's what you, that's what you should pursue, right? It, if it's a need, if you see there's lack, be the one who fills that need, amen? <clears throat> now, what are some of the gifts that Paul refers to here? <clears throat> In verses, the end of verse 6 through verse 8, he says, if prophecy in portion to your faith, uh, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Right? All of these things I think are fantastic because when you think about them, right, someone who leads the, the, um, the, the way, like the, man, I'm drawing a blank on the word, but the, the downside to that is you want to drag people with you, right? You don't want to lead them, shepherd them well. You want to drag them because you're leading them. Uh, but acts of mercy, right? You can be a Martha where she's so focused on the work, she looks at Mary and is like, why isn't she working like me, right? It's, I'm not talking about our Mary, right? <laughs> she's a Martha. She's not a Mary. <laughs> That's a good thing, Um but yeah, like acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It's very easy for those of us who are service-driven to feel like we're burning it from both ends and no one appreciates it, right? That's a, that's a real thing. We should do those things with cheerfulness. The one who contributes uh, with generosity, right? Do it joyfully. Uh, all these things, right? There's always different gifts that, that we have to help the body and we should do them in a way that honors God, amen? So consider the words spoken and find an area that you can be a blessing, no matter what it is. Like some people feel like they're too young for this or too old for that or don't, they can't do this, they can't do that. There's always something if we're members of the body. Like it's, if the spirit of God is within you and you're still here breathing, you're, God is not done with you yet. There is, there is something for you. I don't know what it is. God does. You spend time in his word and figure that out. But there's always something for you. If you're here, God has left you here for a purpose, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain, right? To live means to serve Christ in all that he has given you. So in closing, uh, with this in mind, I, I want to say this. Be encouraged, saints. God is faithful, and it is he who works both in you to will and to work for his good pleasure, right? Don't, don't be discouraged in the fact that, man, I, I don't know what I can do. I don't know if I can do any more. Uh, whatever the case may be, don't think of any of this as a checklist of things to do. No, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is you who is to walk obediently and in faith, trusting in him that he will empower you to do the things that he has called you to. So we go back to our sermon summary. 
right? This is what this means as I unpack this. We're putting it back in the box. You can do everything in your power to obey God and not sin against him. Everything in your own power, right? But if God does not bless or empower your efforts, they are in vain, right? They are nothing but man-made religion, right? Religion, pure and undefiled, is, is, is remaining unstained from the world and serving orphans. But man-made religion is something that you create in your own mind and eventually it's, it's fruitless. There's, it's 100% it's, it's in vain. So what that tells us is if it's not done in faith, it's only man-made religion, has no eternal value, no eternal benefits, and that there's no ability of it to stop the indulgences of the flesh, to stop sinful behaviors. It can only at best have the appearance of wisdom. At best, that's all it can do, just be a facade. But deep down, there's no value within it. So remember, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is forgiveness for sins. In his presence, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. It's found nowhere else, right? Find yourself in him. Refuse to submit to man-made regulations and rules that can only destroy and rest in the Lord and the grace that he has freely bestowed upon you and to all those who call upon his name. Amen. Let's pray.